0: Welcome everyone to today's devotion we're in Revelation chapter 2 and what we have in chapters 2 and 3 is uh, an exploration of the seven churches of Asia Minor minor that Revelation is written to, uh, and, and I know I emphasized this yesterday, but that is important for us to remember. Revelation was written to specific believers in specific regions. Uh, and we meet, uh, I believe I think there's four of them here um, in chapter two, and we meet the other three in chapter three. So, uh, So remember that each of these churches have specific challenges and needs. And that the book of Revelation is an answer to those challenges and needs. In fact, it may be helpful for your personal study to isolate each each um, church and then go through the rest of the book of Revelation and ask yourself, how does this message meet their needs? Uh, and and when, as you do that, uh, you, you then can can look at yourself and say, okay, here's where I am. Um, uh, here's where my church is. How does the book of Revelation speak, speak to us? And uh, I think that would be a... Uh, a worthwhile exploration well uh, chapter one begins with looking at the loveless church that's the church of Ephesus mm-hmm. One of the things you'll notice um, is that they open and end and they follow a similar pattern. They just use different descriptions and words. So uh, Ephesus begins with uh, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven cold lampstands. We talked about that yesterday in chapter one. Uh, Christ holds these these stars in his, in his hands. Uh, so, so the imagery there is quite strong. Seven stars represent the seven churches or the lampstands holding seven churches. The, the stars represent the angels. Um, or the angelos however you interpret that word in that context um but ephesus begins with good bad and back to the good uh, so it starts with the good um patient endurance that cannot bear with those who do evil have tested those who call themselves apostles but aren't um and so what you have here is endurance through suffering of uh, faithfulness in um uh, doctrine in fact that is developed down in verse six Um, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, there's a lot of debate about who the Nicolaitans are. They'll show up again uh, in another church in chapter two. Um, But there's basically three views. Um, One is uh, the teachings of a guy named Nicholas, um, which some trace back to the deacon um, who, along with Stephen and others, were made the first deacons of of Christianity. Uh, And one theory is and, and it's developed some in early church history. This guy uh, adopted false teaching. Some see the Nicolaitans as another version of uh, um, early Gnosticism. Um, and um, if, if, if you hold to one of those, you, you may be able to merge those. that And Nicholas may have been an early uh, Gnostic. And the Gnostics are uh, are most known for their Gospels, the Gospel according to Mary and the Gospel according to Philip. And we've we've talked about some of those. Uh, they're, they're all bogus and nonsense. Um, but the Gnostics taught um, uh, what, what they basically is they took Greek philosophy and Christian theology and they merged them. So what you have is a divine savior who's not human, uh, who encourages us to indulge the flesh. That's it's more complicated than that, but that'll get us through. Uh, regardless. Um, um, you you have here um, their refusal to go along with this false teaching. Again, it shows up later on uh, in chapter 2. But verse 4, This I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's a loveless church. It's a cold church. It's a church that has good doctrines and they really believe in Jesus, but they fail at the simple the simple aspect of Christianity, in that having received the love of Christ, we show the love of Christ. Right? And, and the book of Revelation is, is going to come and, and address those things. After all, it's going to present to us Christ in his essence, Christ in his glory, Christ in his beauty. Um, and it's going to show us the suffering of the saints and, and, and the challenges of, of the world and our calling to, to be a church driven by and motivated by love. It was love that nailed Jesus to the cross. It is love that will uh, change the world, a gospel love uh, that we we should follow. And then we have the Suffering Church. It's the Church of Smyrna. Um, You'll notice how it begins a little different. Uh, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. By the way, I didn't talk about this. Um, They they end with similar patterns but different imagery. So Ephesus has um, uh, the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, that shows up at the end. And then the end of Smyrna, there at the end of verse 11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So we see similar language, but different description. So to the beginning of each letter begins similarly, but uses different imagery. So we went from uh, the seven stars and the seven gold lampstands to now we have the first and the last who died and came back to life and uh, pergamum verse 12 it's um, he who has a sharp two-edged sword so, so they begin similar uh or f- have a similar sort of pattern but just different imagery at the beginning and end of each of the seven letters um, and this imagery applies to um, the the challenges that each church faces well if ephesus is the loveless church pergamum is the suffering church uh, notice he'll say in verse 9 i know your tribulation your poverty but you are rich i think that is worth um, really meditating on personally. How can one be both poor and rich? It is that you may be materially poor, but spiritually rich. That is true riches in the Bible. Uh, in in a consumeristic age, we, we miss that. And in fact, I, I think parents, we would do better if we cultivated spiritual wealth over uh, material riches in our children. Because what you'll find is, is if if you make uh, getting that great job and getting that career and making a lot of money, the goal as an American and as a Christian, what you're going to find is a surrendering of true riches in favor of false riches. But but we've got to leave it there. Uh, Tribulation, poverty, and the slander of those who say they're Jews, but they're not. They're a synagogue of Satan. and and so again there's that word tribulation so so when we come up to the great tribulation or whatever uh terms we want to use later on revelation um we have to put in the context that john writes as if the tribulation is present i do believe it is present and it is yet future and and too often we we struggle with this in revelation that that we want it all to be future uh, but we don't want it to be present Um, and, and revelation allows us to, to swim in that ambiguity. I don't know if there's a future tribulation and with a rapture, I I, I don't know, but I do know is, is that what is described later is being experienced presently with these churches. So it is false and borderline heretical to suggest that if you love Jesus and do everything right, you won't suffer. Man, you'll be, uh, rich, happy, and healthy. Well, that's, that's just False. What you have here are churches who are, are known by their suffering. Their faithfulness is demonstrated by their perseverance and suffering. Um, and so anyone who suggests otherwise is lying to you at best. Here we have a church that is only known by its suffering. There's really nothing else here other than you suffer. And, and here we have Christ among the stars, among the lampstands. And so he's among the churches while they are fighting off the Nicolaitans, but are, are, but are struggling with, with their love, while they are suffering, who is there? It is Christ who is the Alpha and Omega, who is mighty and powerful And all the imagery you get there. He is among his people. It's, it's beautiful imagery if we would just allow it to, um, uh, to, to, to speak. Verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Notice the suffering will come. Jesus isn't going to stop it, not because he doesn't love them. Um, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Notice how easy it is in Revelation for political powers to, to be associated with the demonic world. They they have a supernatural worldview, and we've lost it. Um, um, one of the things I think we would do well is that we would realize how how easily we are influenced by our culture in a modern, postmodern world, and that we take that into the Bible. That is not the worldview of the biblical authors. They see these corrupting systems and powers as being demonic. It doesn't mean that people aren't responsible for the system of corruption. What it did, does mean is that it's both corrupt humans fallen uh, uh, in sin, and you have demonic powers uh, involved here. This is why Jerusalem and Israel is so important in the biblical story. But we, we don't have time to get into a lot of detail of that. Um, so the devil's going to come through in the prison. You may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. There's that word again tribulation. Be faithful unto the end. So, so, Jesus says, look, you're gonna, suffering now, it's going to get worse. But be faithful to the end. Why? Because he who conquers uh, will not be hurt by the second death. And we see at the end of Revelation, when death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, it says, this is the second death. He says, look, suffering now is awful and terrible, and it shouldn't happen. But it is better than suffering later. And... And that is true, isn't it? Well, the third church, we, we've really got to be getting going. Um, the compromising church, the Church of Pergamon. Um, you notice how it begins a little differently. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. A lot of debate about the sharp two-edged sword. It'll show up later um, um, later on. So uh, we, we see the sharp-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and uh, we want to read into that. I, I, I don't know. I don't have answers for you on all of this. I don't. Um, Which is why there's continued debate over Revelation. Um, But this is a compromising church. I don't want to spend forever on them. Verse 14, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the uh, sons of Israel, so they might eat food sacrificed to idols, idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some... Who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So what he may be doing is he's equating the, the Nicolaitans with uh, the story of Balaam. You, you can read that story in Numbers. Basically, Balaam um, um, was uh, corrupted. He, for, for the sake of money, sought to corrupt, uh, use his supposed prophetic powers to corrupt the Israelites. Uh, and and, and uh, John here, Jesus, we should say, emphasizes two areas, meat sacrifice to Uh, to to idols, and then uh, sexual immorality. Um, Well, um, that seems to be what is happening with the Nicolaitans. Um, And if you do not repent, I'll come to you soon, a war against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, that imagery shows up much later. Uh, Let's look finally at the adulterous church. Uh, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like... Flames of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Again, similar language, different imagery. So the church of Thyatira, he uh, says there, verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, eat food sacrificed to idols. Notice the similarity with the, the previous church, here, the compromising church. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. It's fascinating. Is that there is a harlot uh, who rides the red dragon? Later, uh, this is what happens to her. She she is a Jezebel. Um, so so the Jezebel. It, it takes us back to the Old Testament story of Ahab and Elijah. All that. I did a whole sermon series on 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 that that account a few years ago. What we need to see here is is it's he's likely using that imagery to describe their their, their current challenge, and we see the similarities with ephesus and thyatira and i believe it's a uh, um yeah pergamum um all dealing with similar issues the nicolaitans this this idea of using grace as a license to sin um and jesus comes and condemns it in very strong language and you'll see that jezebel lives in the palace but will but will uh be brought down to a to a sickbed. um and uh uh, so he encouraged them to repent of their works. I will strike her children dead and all the churches who know that I am he who searches mine and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your work. So what you have here in many of these churches is is right doctrine leads to right living. And, and they're struggling with right living because they have bad doctrine. They've allowed Balaam and Balak to come in. They've allowed Jezebel to come in. They've allowed the Nicolaitans to come in. As a result, they've, they, 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 they've, um, they, they've gotten immoral. Um, And this is something that churches must guard at all times. So he who has an ear, it concludes in verse 29, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, that is enough. There's a lot more with these, but I think that is enough for for one day. Lord willing, Monday, we'll look at chapter 3. We'll look at the uh, remaining three churches. Hope to see you then.